ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my purpose girls. So I have been very honest with you that according to my mom, I have suffered from anxiety since I was three. And of course, I have no idea what a three-year-old is anxious about, except for that's just how my little personality came into life and past lives and all the things that may influence that. What I haven't yet shared with you is that after throwing the Women's Day event, which I think is the world's largest event on Women's Day, we had 2,500 women and the 25 speakers, I immediately went into hyper-anxiety, pretty severe depression in a way that almost made no sense, right? It's like I had Josh and my mom and loved ones going, you just did the most amazing thing. Like, what? why are you, what is going on? And all I knew is that my whole body was in darkness. And it felt like the walls were caving in and I couldn't breathe and it was severe anxiety, like I was maybe gonna die. And I used all my tools, all the tools that we talk about here on the Purpose Girl Podcast to work with it, work through it, move through it. And I want to share with you, because as you know, I believe that the only way to live our purpose is to live it authentically. And that the more we share our true story and what's really going on with us, the more we free others to do the same. And that is being a purpose girl, right? That's how we change the world one woman at a time. So just about during that time, no, exactly at that time, my mom gets this magazine. And it's a magazine for a Jewish woman's organization that we all belong to. It's called Hadassah. The organization is called Hadassah. And she said to me, did you get your Hadassah magazine? I said, uh, maybe. I don't know. It's sitting in a pile of mail. I have a baby. And she said, well, open it up. You have to read the story about Melissa Bernstein, who created the toys Melissa and Doug. And she's like, you know, those toys you have all over your house, Melissa and Doug. So I'm like, all right, all right, mom, all right, all right. And then literally maybe a day later, we get a message from Melissa's team to interview her on the Purpose Girl podcast. And I was like, all right, when the universe sends you one message, whatever, but when the universe is sending you multiple messages, you know that there's something here. So I open up the magazine. I start reading Melissa's story. I'm in tears because I so get what she describes, which is despite having this quote unquote perfect life, this massive business, this beautiful family, she has six children, we're gonna talk about all that. She has suffered from something called existential depression her whole life. And here she is making the most colorful, like amazing fun toys ever. And it just shows how human we all are and that this is her mission now. She has a book called Lifeline. She has an incredible website helping people like herself, like me, like you, navigate through, navigate through all of our emotions, all of our sensitivity, 
in order to live this vibrant, peaceful, dare I say, happy life. And so let me introduce you to Melissa. I will probably cry 10 times in this episode, but y'all are used to it. So here we go. Melissa and Doug is a half billion dollar success story. Its products have cheerful presents and toy stories and on my living room. In fact, I brought one down for her to see. And Melissa is the founder, the co-founder, the people behind the company, she and her husband, Doug. They're a married couple, they're parents of six, and they found, they architected, they're the entrepreneurial force behind the company. At the same time, Melissa, unbeknownst to all of us, had been suffering something her entire life, grappling with this existential anxiety and depression. It's a condition that both fueled her creativity and brought her to the brink of self-harm, which I totally, totally get. She has now published Lifelines, an inspirational journey from profound darkness to radiant light. Yes, it came out March 16th, right after the Women's Day event. And in the book, she shares her story. She shares her poetry. She shares every single detail of her innermost self, and it just made me fall in love with her. You are going to be moved. You are going to feel heard. You are going to feel seen by this episode. So you want to make sure that you are staying for every single bit that Melissa and I have to talk about. Well, let me introduce you to Melissa Bernstein. Melissa, welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. Thank you, Karen. I'm so happy to be here and to speak with you. I am so honored that you are here. I couldn't believe it. Or I can, because that's how the universe always works. When, like five minutes after my mom says to me, you have to read her story, it's you. Then I get this message from you, your team, whomever, about having you on the podcast. And I was like, well, of course. I, yeah, I believe in that. I believe the universe works in strange ways and takes us to where we need to be. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, when I was a little girl, I never felt like I fit in always could feel everything. In fact, I still can't watch an unhappy movie. If the movie doesn't have a happy ending, I have no interest in it. I can't. It just because it breaks me to, it breaks me down when I see a homeless person. Yesterday I'm shopping with my baby. There's a family outside. They need food. I'm running inside. I'm buying half the grocery store. Like I, I can't. And then I read your story and here it's like you're in my living room every day because of all the toys, right, for Shay. And I had no idea. And of course, I don't know you, but no one had any idea. So if you could share a little bit more about where you were and what was happening in your life when you started to realize, actually not even starting to realize, but when you found, oh, there's a thing here. And it actually was, was a shift for you to heal. Yeah, and it sounds like you have an emotional hypersensitivity because that th the situation you describe, you know, with seeing people and, and not being able to handle the emotion over it, really is that your tuning knob when it comes to your emotions is turned way up. And, um, and that's beautiful, but it's also can make you very despairing when you see things that don't make sense. So, yeah. I mean, basically my whole life, my, my tuning knobs were turned as high as you could turn them. And because of that, I never felt like I fit in with this world. I felt like I had been dropped here. Like one day, kind of a, a spaceship just 
you know, sort of showed up above the earth, like dropped me down, plopped me in. And the rest of my life, I was like, what's going on? Like, I don't belong here. I'm from that other planet. Like, what am I supposed to do in this world that doesn't see me, that doesn't accept me and is going in the opposite direction from where I'm going? Mm. And when you feel like you're on a freeway and you're the only car that's actually like trying to go the other way (laughs) and the traffic is coming at you as quickly as you can, you know, as you can see and you can't get out of the way. It's heavy. And, um, and I think it just gives you this unsettled feeling of something is very, very wrong in mm-hmm. my being, mm-hmm. you know, and not to mention, I was plagued with these questions, like from my earliest recollection, I really believe it was like two and a half, three, that I was asking, you know, why am I here? What is the meaning of life if we are ultimately all just going to expire? And most importantly, like, what am I supposed to do during my brief time here? And when you don't get the answers to those questions and you can't even voice them, you you live in this state of thinking that it's all absurd because everyone else seems perfectly fine. Like, they're not asking themselves those questions. Why the heck am I? Right, right. And, and because you feel so odd, like, you just have this utter sense of futility that kind of colors every single moment of every single day. You know, you describe this feeling of what a dear friend of mine calls purpose anxiety so well. So in my master's in positive psychology, I then sometimes will help other people with their thesis. And this is what she coined as she was graduating. And it's not a term I think anybody even knows, but there is this like, why am I here? And I feel like like you had this since you were three. You even describe in your book that you came out of the womb crying for 12 months, <laughs> screaming, screaming, screaming. Your mother's like, what do I do with this baby? So there is something your soul, right, had that, yeah. had that question. And I feel like so many of us, this is what we're walking around in. And I covered it up. Right. Like I got married to my first husband when I was 22. My way of covering it up was let me follow a Barbie doll life. Right. Like let me find tall, dark, handsome. He should be a lawyer or a doctor to please my nice Jewish parents. Like everything should be in place. And I did all of that by the time I was 22 and miserable when I was 24, divorced at 26. And first time I met a friend who seemed to get me. She and I were walking. She was had just started working with me at, at whatever corporate job I had then. And she said, you're an abyss walker. I was like, I need to look up what abyss means. But yes, I think I am. And it was this thing that you're describing, that we go deeper. And we go so deep that it can hurt. And there's the hypersensitivity. There's also like the depth of like, who am I? And so here you were, and you were battling these questions your whole life. And then someone would look at you now, Melissa, and say, well, who are you? You're the toy maker. What are you talking about? Right? Yeah. And so tell us a little bit more for people who aren't familiar with Melissa and Doug. I described it in your intro, but can you share a little bit more about what your life looked like on the outside and on the inside? Definitely. So because I had these deep, dark thoughts and I had this demon in my head that basically said, because 
life is futile because you will never be able to make meaning in this absurd world. End your life. It's not even worth trying. Just end it. And Mm. this voice was also in my head 24-7. But I didn't want to end my life because I, I wanted to find the answer to my questions and find the meaning because I knew there had to be a reason I was plopped here. Like it couldn't have all been for naught. And, and the wise philosophers who were in my, my position all came to that same conclusion. Like they didn't want to take the coward's way out mm-hmm. because I knew if I took my life, it would just be over and I never would have found my meaning and my answers. So. I did what so many of us do, and you explained it right then. I basically tried to disassociate, to repress, to deny everything who made me who I was, everything that brought about that existential questioning from the beginning, and try to fit in, Mm -hmm. in every single way I could. And the odd thing about me is as different and weird as I was, I wanted to be popular more than anything. And you mentioned... Barbie, Barbie was my only toy. She was my like heroine because she was beautiful. She was perfect. She was always smiling, if you notice. (laughs) And like her life was like, she had Ken. I mean, she, She her sister's dream car, her skipper, her sister was like, like loved her and adored her. She had everything I didn't have. And I wanted to be her. I wanted to look like her. Like she was my role model, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was what I wanted to aspire to. So I clung from the very beginning to this idea of futilely racing outside myself to drown out the drumbeat of mortality ringing in my head, Mm -hmm. but to create, to do, to learn, to try to fit in, um, and it's a futile race in the end, and, and anchoring to validation through achievement and performance and serving everyone else, which I realized became martyrdom mm-hmm. in my latter years, um, and doing whatever I could. I mean, I may be the highest achieving existentially depressed person ever, because well, Brad, I barely, <laughs> yeah, I barely even slept. I was like, I have to keep creating and and that was my form of trying to forge meaning from the meaninglessness. Mm, like if I keep creating, if I make another toy, if we make another child happy, if we mm-hmm. right, if if we do If this, we make another child because right. having children actually became another form of this. I mean, I had six C-sections. Like I was not stopping. It didn't even matter what it was doing to my body. I was like I've got to like procreate because it's part of this like need to leave a legacy, need to make meaning, need to find um, why I'm here. Right. And there's this, you know, in positive psychology, we talk about like the the treadmill, the hedonic treadmill, I'll be happy when, right? Like, well, that will make me happy. Well, that will make me feel purposeful. Well, that will. And it's like always this thing that we're chasing and we're chasing. And you so beautifully in your book, talk about what that chase did to you and even mm. what you noticed that it was doing to your children, right? Like you yeah. had to be the best. So then they had to be the best on the soccer field yeah. or that you, how do you get to six kids games and things at the same time? Like it becomes this impossible thing. It, it did. It was, I was unable to breathe. And if I didn't have every moment of time scheduled out, I mean, I write about this from the moment I woke up 
to the minute I fell into bed so exhausted, like I would fall into bed with my clothes on and not wake up. Uh, you know, I was driving myself into the ground. And the truth is no closer to finding meaning, even at the end of it. So, mm. so, you know, I, at one point, I looked in the mirror, and it was like, okay, you are the definition of the American dream, right? There isn't anything you could ever want more of. I mean, you have you know, nearly a $500 million company. This was a few years ago. You have six children. You have every material, you know, uh, reward. Marriage. Right. A great, my gosh, my best friend married to, like, there was nothing wrong at all. Yet I was still empty inside, completely empty because, again, I had never truly accepted who I was in totality. And I had never truly discovered my way to connect my seeds of self-expression to people as I truly was. And I felt like this sham, even though it wasn't, I felt like even though toys had been my salvation for over 30 years and I had learned through making toys that I could take this innate darkness and channel it actually into something light and bright. And it was so glorious to know that I had a choice to, you know, to either create despairing verses and despairing music from my, uh, you know, darkness or create beautiful toys. I still, there came a moment when I was horrified. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm still hiding behind these toys because although I am channeling no doubt, a piece of myself and my heart and soul is in every one of those toys. No one understands that what fueled that creativity is so much darkness. Mm -hmm. And I had never accepted myself for that darkness. You know, I had tried to re repress it and deny it for my whole life. And I, I felt very inauthentic still. Yeah. Well, and of course you tried to repress it. I mean, this is what we're taught. Right? Exactly. We're, we're taught that it's not okay. Like I grew up, I'm the youngest of three and I was the happy one. That was just kind of the title. I was the perfect one. Yeah. I was the one who was supposed to get all A's. I never smoked. I never drank. I blah, 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 blah. Like all of it was perfect, 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 mm -hmm. perfect. And my inner, it's like, I was reading your poetry and I'm like, oh my God, I got to pick up a pen again. Because when I was in high school, I would write very dark poetry and in college and like, that's where this darkness would come out because it wasn't acceptable yeah. anywhere else, right? And I feel like even now, still, when I have a bad day, like now, obviously, I have a very different relationship with my mom when she's like, oh, read this, and she gets it more. But I felt like I had to hide it because she was always like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? It's like, I don't know what's wrong, <laughs> right? I'm just yeah. like, I feel everything, and like, I'm searching for my meaning in life, and it can be hard to live in this world. And and did your husband, you, he's your best friend, your business partner, did he or your kids know you were going through this? Oh, gosh, no. Oh, nope. No. Oh, I didn't put even. On, like, like your toys, you put on like the colored, you know, happy. Well, the, the crazy thing is I didn't know it was going on. Mm. Because, again, everything that society told me was buck up and be strong. Put on that tough exterior, go through it. And my badge of honor was I don't care how bad it gets and what life throws on me and how much that voice tells me to take my life. Like my duty is to slog through it and not give in 
and to keep fighting and never show an ounce of it to the world. And it sort of became my, this idea, this martyrdom, you know, and salvation would come, you know, maybe down the road when I was anointed or, or given this, you know, gold medal for like my servitude and my, my bucking up and, and, and taking it all. We're all waiting for it. We're waiting into, when does it happen? Is it like we're 80? It doesn't. We show up to like our 80th birthday party and someone goes, here's your woman medal. Right. You sludge. Yeah. You. Yeah. And, and I think the more, it was almost like I got to a point, I was like, bring it on, throw it on me because I'm not buckling. And, but, but all my verses are about, I'm, I'm, you know, they're all clinging to my feathers yet. I'm struggling to fly from the strain of over serving obligated to comply. Mm -hmm. You know, it was this, I wrote these very angry verses like, like, stop clinging to me. I can't take this. But yet I was smiling all day long and like, sure, whatever you want, sweetie. Right. Showing up as Velcro, but inside angry that they were, that, that they actually used the Velcro. Exactly. That, but that was all I had shown to the world was that I was this like tool to just be used however people saw fit because I never valued myself as anything more. Of course. I just feel like these are the messages that we're given. Yeah. You know, I have this theory, Melissa, that when we suppress anything, we become depressed. Oh, absolutely. Right. Resistance and repression dredge a channel to depression. Yes. And so it can feel harder to say to the world, yes, I make these happy toys. Or like for me, yes, I have my master's degree in happiness. Because <laughs> okay? I do. <laughs> From an Ivy League university, blah, blah. And I'm a whole woman. I'm a whole human. And there are other parts of me and that this is part of me. And it's as much a part of my purpose as this other shiny part that you see. Yeah, well, I had no other part of me. The only part of me that existed was this robotic, soulless individual who basically just, you know, served others. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I would have thought that I was doing fine because, again, I was was living my life and it certainly was a really good life. And we we did beautiful things. We went on you know, beautiful trips with our family and had these incredible moments. It was really just that I was inside so scared of feeling and admitting that I had all these feelings and that I was, you know, utterly bereft because of a lifetime denying myself. I think I, you know, I, I wasn't connected to that part of me at all. And never, never had been because I never, you know, was, was taught it was okay to feel anything other than I'm great. I'm perfect. Okay. I'm fine. Okay. Yeah. And I would have, you know, I would have 104 fever and still no one would ever know I was even sick. I never, I don't think there was one day I ever spent in bed my entire life. Even when I was sick, I was the only child. I would run the thermometer under cold water. <laughs> You know how the thing is you make it so you have a fever so you don't have to go to I school? I was the child, like, I would know I had a fever because, you know, you know. And I would see it was like 103 and a half. And I would say, I would, my mom would say, you know, take your temperature. And I would run it under cold water till it went. And I would be like, no, nope, no fever. And I would always go to, go to school. Wow. Wow. It's yeah. like that battle against 
the demon was so like, I'm going to win. I'm going to, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be tough. Like, this is the way I'm going to cover yeah, it up. And, and a couple other things, you know, I, I would brag about how I had never taken a bath. Like I was really proud that like all these women indulge themselves and take baths. Like I will never take a bath. I don't have time to take a bath. And then the other thing I disdained was that saying, put on your, your oxygen mask first because I was like these selfish people, why would they put their oxygen mask on first? Like you always save the other person and you think of yourself last. Mm -hmm. And I was like angry about that. And I now see, I mean, I had these, you know, negative flawed perceptions that ruled my life. Um, the first being, I will never be able to trust anyone and I am utterly alone. Mm -hmm. um, but so many others, that were just so angry and punishing and and put myself as a person and a human not even on the list of of self-care yeah you actually in the book you share these right i do these beliefs that you have which is so brave sister so <laughs> brave thank you for doing that you say i will always be alone and can trust no one right these are the what you call irrational precepts that you have the thoughts I am unworthy of love, kindness, gratification, and pleasure. I'm just going to read a few of them. I must perform perfectly. Achieving less than 100% is unacceptable. And as I read these, Melissa, I, I know that there are a lot of women out there going nodding. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Because these are the messages that we've been given. So talk to us about that shift of what happened. Yeah. Oh, it was an incredible shift. And, and I now, you know, feel so equipped to help others who are where I was because it's, it was such a, a dark place. And it started really with a few dots connecting completely by accident. You know, like, like you said, sort of, um, reading the article and then having someone contact you, you know, they're, they're like, they're like signs from the universe, right? That something's ready to change. And I was already, the, the truth is, you know, I now understand why it's called a midlife crisis because I think we're able to repress and deny and hold down everything we are and everything we're feeling for years. But for me, that exhaustion from doing so, because there's nothing more exhausting than denying yourself and denying everything you feel. Like those feelings don't go away. They just fester inside you and become ugly. Um, and I was starting to get really exhausted. As I hit middle age, it was like that exhaustion just became something that was very hard to live with. And I started to hear that cry of my soul to be seen. It was like, I couldn't, it was like saying, please, I'm here. Like, I want to be seen as I truly am. Like, don't deny me any longer. And then a couple incredible dots started connecting. You know, I listened to this podcast that um, became really important to me. I started listening to more kind of people coming out because I think I needed that courage to do it myself. And I listened to this podcast by this guy, Jonathan Fields, called The Good Life Project. And I adored his podcast. I adored him because like he had these people, you know, like Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle who were like coming out with pretty big revelations. And, um, 
And he talked about his favorite book being this book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I laughed because I had that book on my bookshelf. I had read it in my 20s. And, you know, you can walk a path a hundred times without a second thought um, is one of my verses. And it's about like, until you have awareness, you know, everything seems the same. And then once you have awareness, you can walk that same path and suddenly like you see the Where's this here before, right? It's like you open a book and it's like, wait, this this page wasn't there before. How did this suddenly get in there? Exactly. And this book didn't speak to me in my 20s when I read it. But boy, in my 40s, I read that book and like my life changed mm. because he had had an existential crisis in the concentration camp where he um, was 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 housed, I guess you'd say. And he ended up becoming an existential therapist and really engaging in logotherapy, which is the search for meaning. And I started, I never heard the word. I'm a word person who read the dictionary and the thesaurus. And I never in my life heard the word existential or heard the word logotherapy. Mm -hmm. And I looked them up and those words really changed my life um, because I just, disdain labels. I disdain being put in a box. But in this case, the label was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Because when I realized that I was afflicted with this thing called existential depression, existential angst, uh, it was like, I, I couldn't even believe that I had something that other people before me had had. And it made me feel for the first time that I wasn't alone. Even though reading about the people who had it, most of them died of insanity, took their lives, or had to be like numbed by their own um, you know, addictions yeah. because it was that. But when I heard that it was like, the more I heard how dark it was and how many people attempted or took their lives, the better I felt because it was like, that is exactly what I've had to bear through. And to know that it wasn't easy and that I wasn't alone in that and that many would have taken the other path out um, was so validating and changed my life. First of all, I'm so glad that you happened upon, you know, it's like you found Jonathan's podcast and then you read the book and right. Victor Frankl is like my hero because when I was in grad school, becoming purpose girl, studying purpose, every single article, research article on purpose starts with, you know, in 1946, Victor Frankl wrote blah, 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 blah. In yeah. 1954, Victor Frankl, right. And so he he and that work, any of you who haven't gotten it, we'll put it the link in the show notes that you must, must, must read Man's Search for Meaning. And I know that feeling so well. It's like, we don't want to be labeled, but it's like when you go to the doctor and they say that there's nothing wrong. You're like, no, I know that there is. Like, I have a pain. Like, am I making this up? Because then you can start, you know, crazy making yourself, like as if it's not a thing. And it's like when my friend said to me, you're an abyss walker. I was like, oh, right. I'm a, there's a, there is, there's a thing for it. And I, I felt seen. I felt exactly. understood. That's what, you know what it is? I felt understood. Exactly. And when I further realized that those who suffer from existential depression also have this highly sensitive central nervous system and have these things called overexcitabilities, I read there were five overexcitabilities. And when I read the definition of all five, it was, I mean, I couldn't have written them more succinctly myself. And suddenly it was like this window opened up on my soul. Mm. And I was able to understand for the first time ever 
that I had what I now call a blurse. You know, I had always thought of it as only a curse. Like the qualities that made me who I was were so horribly stigmatizing and made it so hard to exist in the world each day that I just didn't understand why I was here. Mm -hmm. And when I began to see that those qualities were actually, if I could look at the other side of them, a blessing in that they were what gave me that ability to create from pure white space, um, from that blank canvas of imagination. And I realized that that ability to do so wasn't just something else. It was born out of these stigmatizing qualities. I was like, no, it can't be true. And I truly cried for like a week straight. And I didn't never cry. That was the other thing. Like part of my thing was like, I don't cry. Like, like who I am strong. I cry all the time. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, weepy. I mean, come on. Like, buck up, <laughs> sister. Like, you should be better than that. To do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So for anyone out there listening to this, let's, if you can, first give us a, the definition of existential depression and angst so someone can identify it. Sure. I mean, e existential depression is being consumed with life's meaning and wondering if there is meaning in life. And there's various forms of it. I mean, existential nihilism, which was the lowest place I went, was where you believe that there's no meaning to existence and we as humans have no ability to make meaning in a meaningless existence. And then existentialism, which is where, thank goodness I am, is when we realize that we as humans have a choice. Um, and we can, using our awareness, our free will and taking personal responsibility, we can actually make meaning, even though existence may be meaningless. It is our duty to make meaning. Mm -hmm. Is it ever? And we know from the research that it is highly correlated. It is connected to actually feeling satisfied with your life. Like the reason I'm obsessed with purpose and meaning is that it gives us something beyond quote unquote happiness. It gives us a sense of fulfillment. Absolutely. When you actually find that thing that allows you to transcend yourself and engage in the flow of life mm. and connect to others. It is so blissful and it is indescribable when you find that thing. And, you know, I have found it now and um, it is an incredible feeling and does bring my life profound meaning. Mm. And and as you called it a blurse, which I've never heard and I love I often, in, in my Goddess on Purpose course, which is my eight-week course, we happen to right now be in superpowers week, which is like, what are our superpowers? And so we were just having this discussion that the things that you loathe about yourself probably are the best things about you. And that those are the things about you that actually can fuel everything else. Like I always loathed the anxiety. And just recently... A friend of mine bought me these like blinged out earrings that say anxiety on them. I almost thought about wearing them to this interview, but I can't with the headphones. It doesn't work. So the, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. That anxiety actually is what has fueled my wanting to create. I had social anxiety that I wasn't like ever popular and wanted to be in the past. And so what I do now is create sisterhoods for women to feel yes. so loved and so connected, right? This is why I'm always talking to all of you about pain to purpose, because the things that you don't like about yourself or the things that you have gone through 
you know, like Melissa with Lifeline, with whose book, with we haven't even gotten into her website, which I want to get into because it's so cool. I've been doing it myself so that you, I want, we want to share with you. It actually likely is the very thing that someone else needs to hear. Well, here's the other thing that every one of the wise philosophers said, because, you know, my pathway to liberation took two paths. It took the psychotherapeutic path in needing to finally unearth what it meant to feel and accept myself in totality. But my meaning didn't come through that. Self-acceptance came through that. Once I had self-acceptance, I needed to figure out my meaning. And that came through philosophy and my own path. Mm -hmm. And I took the philosophical path um, because, by the way, existential depression is not even in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It is truly a philosophical condition. And, um, and one that is very normal, dare I say, for people who are realists and really see the reality and don't want to put their heads in the sand. So the philosophers say that anxiety is actually necessary and essential if you are going to move from inauthenticity to authenticity. That abyss that your, your friend spoke about. That abyss is the necessary in between, between whether you want to live in with your head in the sand and be one of the herd of society, or whether you actually want to cross the abyss, traverse it. I, I jumped into the abyss and basically had to completely disintegrate before I crawled up the other side, like, let me out of here. I want to get out. I need light. And, and finally crawled into authenticity. Um, but that abyss is terrifying. I call it exilifying now. That's another, you know, exhilarating and terrifying because it, it has that feel of if you can crawl out of it, it will lead to exhilaration. But it's facing everything you've ever denied. It's facing every paradox of life. It's facing the joys, the sorrows, the fact that we'll die, the fact that we can't be perfect. I mean, it's everything is in there. And what happens in our society, because we're taught anxiety is bad, anxiety is negative. You feel anxiety, deny it, avoid it, mask it, numb it out, numb it, get back numb to it. work. Yep. Do renew projects. Do, yep. Do like, like, ah, it's anxiety. Run the other direction. Most of us die never having crossed over into the authentic living. And the number one regret of the dying is by far, I never lived a life true to myself. I lived the life society expected of me. Mm -hmm. And that just horrifies me. Because so many of us are terrified of crossing the abyss. So one of my messages is it's essential. Like, and when you start to feel it, it actually means you are growing. Right. You're starting to, yes, you're starting to say <laughs> all these things society's been telling me. I don't know if they're true for me. I'm starting to question that. And what is that going to do? Because you're tapping on the edge of the box you've been put in. It's going to make you feel anxious because you're it's, a, it's unknown outside that box. It is. And a scary thing is for people, well, people I love still accept me. Exactly. Right? And so, you know, self-acceptance is a journey that, I have really, it's been one of my things of the last 10 months since having the baby and really noticing the places where even after all this work and all this time, 
the places I still wasn't fully loving and accepting myself. I mean, self-love way beyond the bubble bath, right? Like deep, 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 deep yeah. love. And one of the scary things is if I accept all of me, will they? And I'm not talking about the they that we don't give a crap about. I'm talking about like the they that we love. And what was your experience as you started to really accept all of you and share all of you with your loved ones? I think the good news about not doing this until I was truly middle-aged is by that point, I honestly didn't really care. I had done it the other way my whole life. All I had ever done was literally nearly killed myself over trying to be liked by everyone and not do the wrong thing and be the good girl and serve everyone. And it had served no one. I mean, that was the the horrifying disclosure was I hadn't served myself because I was angry, exhausted and bereft and 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 pissed off. I was like, I am just a tool. I'm like a doormat. I was so angry inside. I didn't show it, but I was ugh, so seething. And the saddest thing is I didn't serve anyone else either because I had disabled them from building the necessary skills to become independent, functioning, self-efficient mm-hmm. adults. Mm-hmm. So I had like my, my insecurity and need for validation horrifyingly had stood in the way of them being able to become like independent. So I saw with horror, like I had served no one. No one was patting me on the shoulder. I wasn't hoisted up. There was no No party. There was no parade. It was nothing. It was like they were angry at me because they wanted more and more and more because they couldn't do anything for themselves. And I was angry at me because I had allowed that, that to happen. So when I finally came out, I was like, I'm coming out, honey. There is a lion in here and she's coming out. And nobody is going to stop me. And I don't even care. And I didn't have any friends, authentic friends. All my friendships were like superficial, you know, on the sidelines of sporting events. And like nothing in my life was real because I wasn't real. I was this like perfect robotic person who showed no vulnerability. So for me, it has been extraordinary in that. You know, I never really had an authentic friendship my entire life. Like when I hear women talking about like these childhood friends that they grew up with and they get together for like women's weekends and go to these places, I always feel so sad because I don't have any of that. I had no friends. I mean, I had friends, but they were like always these competitive things and they always ended in these like horrible breakups. Um, and like the worst it, of what? Of what can happen, right? Between the worst of what can happen. The mean girls and, that continues onto the soccer sidelines. And yeah. And, and has and that changed now though? It has. I mean, like oh, now God. I have too many friends. I'm like, <laughs> like, please, we are your friends, all purpose girls. We are wrapping our arms around you and you come to our <laughs> retreats and we will you'll find your people. Yes. But yeah, like because people now can resonate with you in this whole other level. And how funny that when you actually, I mean, it is the true irony of my life that when yes. you actually sort of let out that you feel certain ways and you have dark days and you're struggling like we all are every day, that like everyone comes to meet you who should. And suddenly, you know, because my my biggest negative cognition was that I can't trust anyone. I will always be alone. No one will ever accept me as who I am. Mm -hmm. And I now know that was completely 
erroneous. That was only because I, I showed myself to be someone who didn't need anybody. Mm, this is the great irony. Everyone hear us out. <laughs> One of the reasons you probably love me is that I do throw up all my vulnerability all over this microphone. And yet I'm afraid to do it. I'm afraid that you're going to run to the hills, right? Like there's some part of me. And what I have learned, what Melissa has learned, like the more authentic we are to ourselves, the more we find the people who say, me too, sister, and want to connect in that way. Yes. And it's a really cute, one of the really cute things people say is, you know, I, I sometimes share the story about how in high school, which was the worst time, and is the worst time for people like us, Everyone. <laughs> anyone, well, anyone who's hypersensitive and feels really like a misfit. I mean, high school, it should be like abolished from life. Um, but you know, that, that cafeteria and not ever feeling like I could quite sit at the table. Where am I going to sit? Yeah. Yep. And I spent most of my uh, high school lunches in the stall of the bathroom, like just mm. sitting on the toilet, kind of eating my lunch. And there's so many people now. And I've shared that a couple of times. Like I was in the bathroom stall, which is not the best place to eat your lunch. I'm it's thinking like, that's like so gross. And it's totally really it. gross. It's really <laughs> gross. But I have so many people now that send me these notes. They're like, I would have sat at your lunch table. Aww. And I feel like my lunch table now could be the size of the whole cafeteria. Yeah, um, 16 cafeterias. Yes. But some of them I say, okay, you'd sit at my lunch table. Would you sit in the stall with me? Because that is a real friend. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. A sister, I would totally. Thank totally. you. Totally. Yes. It's, and this is, this is like the meat of it. So there's, it's like in what you're doing now, Melissa, there's, so, there's several messages. One, you're not alone right? If you've felt this existential anxiety, depression, this weight of the who am I, this is a thing and you're not alone and there are ways to work with it and have it really shift into the most profound, most meaningful, beautiful thing in your life. And then the highly sensitive piece, this hypersensitivities, also these are gifts that we can work with and then this additional piece that you're really offering to the world, which is what we do with all of it. So you've written this beautiful book. I had all these toilet, I haven't even gotten to them, but I have all these like toilet papered, you know, um, pieces that I was going to read because there's, your poetry just brought, brought me to my knees and, and in tears several times. And then this website, and I wanna make sure that we have time to really talk about the website. So I went to the website thinking I was just going to find this informational, you know, site. Of course, I read your your media pack and then I went to it and you've created a whole experience to really help all of us have lifelines. Yeah, that that is what Doug and I wanted to do. You know, we have spent 32 years now, shockingly, creating toys and, uh, you know, really being rewarded for it by by folks who've been kind enough to buy our toys. And this is really our passion project to give back. So we wanted to create this entirely free ecosystem that would support people and show them they're not alone. Because again, it sounds cliched because so many people are like, oh, you're not alone. But they said that to me my whole life too. And I was alone. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think when you feel like alone in who you are. You can have people all around you, but it's not authentic. 
Right. It's not, they don't really get me. They don't know what's under this sunshiny exactly. exterior. And if they did, they really wouldn't like it. And exactly. I don't like them. So it, there's a huge difference between some people being there. Yes. You know, it's like how I felt in my first marriage. It's like someone's there, but you still feel alone. Yes, exactly. In our community, I mean, yesterday we had a workshop on the full spectrum of emotion mm -hmm. and like a couple people shared for the very first time in their lives that they feel sad. And like when you have someone for the first time sharing that something they've never shared and they said, like, this is the first forum I've ever felt comfortable sharing um, who I truly am. There, there's nothing greater. We were all, because we do a cute grid, we were all in tears. Everybody was like nice. rubbing their eyes. I mean, it was so powerful and emotional. And that's what we're trying to do. We're creating these, these workshops where we talk about things that no one talks about. I mean, we talk about, you know, uh, breaking up with your inner critic. We talk about martyrdom. We talk about feeling so lonely that, you know, you, you, you might want to end your life. Like deep, dark feelings um, that people just don't share in these type of forums. Um, and then the second really purpose for me is to show others that we all have capacity to channel our darkness into light and find meaning. And I think so many people who write me feel like they don't have any meaning, that the light has gone out and they're hopeless and helpless and, and barely able to hang on. And, and we want to show them that we all have the light. It might have been almost snuffed out by all the layers of darkness and trauma and tragedy and, you know, responsibility that have been put on it. But and you, then you add have, on COVID and you add, and then you on, add COVID. on COVID. It's, it's under there, mm -hmm. you know, and we talked yesterday about this word anhedonia, where it's, you basically don't have the ability to feel any pleasure anymore. Mm -hmm. You're like, you're just in this state of unfeeling. And we all get, I was there for so long. I mean, my palette was all dark colors. There was no, there was no, no rainbow of colors in my palette. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it's there. It's just a matter of doing the work to unearth it. And then the third um, really important purpose is so many of us spend our lives running away from who we are. You know, either it's the feudal race or it's paralysis or it's numbing and, you know, some other form of just avoidance or it's anchoring to something that you think outside yourself is going to give you meaning and it really isn't filling your My inner job. void. If I find Anything. a partner, food, yeah. political all, cause, right, all of it, all of it. Uh, and I think it's only when we realize, I mean, and it's, it's a, it's a bummer in some ways that the answer lies within our soul. And unfortunately it's going to take crossing that abyss between inauthenticity and racing away and authenticity to get there that we perhaps consider taking this journey and that journey to inward is the journey that I have put as the centerpiece of our ecosystem, the journey to inner space. And it's the exact journey I took in all its darkness and light. And if we can get to the point where we are truly able to silence our heads and go on it, it will lead to light. Mm. You know, not everyone 
uh, is ready to take it. And some people think they took it. But if they don't find light, it means they haven't really taken it. Because when you truly do the work and when you truly come to terms with everything you're feeling and everything you are and accept it all and and really start to ask the questions, what are my seeds of self-expression? What is my reason for being here? Like everyone has one. You know, they may think, I don't know why I'm here. I have nothing that brings me joy. It's, it's because they've never done the work to find it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's what we're doing here at Purpose Girls, that every woman giving you those tools so that you can do that work and get clear on who you are and why you are, and then to go enact that in the world, right? To go be that. The journey that you take us on in, online through this ecosystem into your inner space is so beautiful because you give tools, just doing the tools, right? I took my, you've created a whole like hiking experience, online kind of hiking experience and you make these different stops and it's interactive. And Melissa gives these beautiful tools where you might pick up a, a quote and put it into your proverbial backpack if you there's this backpack. And it's just like identifying first, what are you currently carrying that's so heavy, right? Are you carrying the perfectionism? Are you carrying the weight of others' expectations? Are you carrying the I shoulds? Are you carrying the negative voices in your head? And even just pausing to identify, it was a beautiful tool. And then going through this hike in the woods, I don't know how else to describe it. You all have to go check it out. And of course we have the links in the show notes with actual tools, like a simple tool to pause and do a five, four, three, two, one, five things that you notice that you're seeing with your eyes, four things you're hearing right? Three things that you can touch. I believe that that was the next one and et cetera, et cetera. And it's these actual tools that will help you breathe. Yeah. And will help I mean, you go they're not, they're not new. You know, these tools exist. I mean, anybody's journey, you know, and even the hero's journey, if you look in mythology, it's all the same journey, right? It's the journey back to yourself. And it's circular. It's always circular. And our hike is circular. It's a bunch of trails, but the truth is you end up right back where you started, but you're very different. You know, your, your metaphorical backpack is completely different if you truly take the journey when you started and when you end up. And that's why I needed the metaphor because I'm very simple in my thinking and I need to distill things down to their simplest elements in order to truly practice them. So for me, it became this metaphor and the exercises that I still have in my backpack um, have become my tools for my practice and are also very simple. You know, the two, the two parts of the journey that were the hardest for me that I do every single day multiple times are the letter A, which is allow, because, you know, I can be incredibly aware of what I'm feeling. But the problem is most of us, and I'm, I'm included, judge our feelings. The minute I'm feeling something that isn't shiny and pretty, I'm like, oh, Melissa, you went through this already. You took the, the darn journey. Like, what's going on? on it. <laughs> yeah, you wrote the book. Like, you got it on the website. Why are you feeling jealous today? And I have to allow myself to nice. feel everything and accept that it's what I'm feeling. And if I'm feeling it, 
it means I still have something in there that needs a little more work. So that allowance is part of my practice probably 10 times a day, whenever I'm triggered. And then the other one is the letter E. And part of the letter E is embracing ourselves for everything we feel and everything we are. So it's once I feel something that feels ugly, taking it back to that wounded inner child that when she was little felt that she wasn't worthy of feeling and felt angry about those things. It always stems from that. Always. And offering that child, I give myself a lot of butterfly hugs, offering myself compassion for having experienced that and needing that that love, that self-love that I never received. Mm-hmm. And I just keep doing it over and over and over. And little by little, those feelings are starting to become less and less and less. Right. It's like the feelings still may come up for the rest of our lives. I mean, I find because in some way, when we do something new, those feelings can come up or you do something even more vulnerable. You share a new piece of yourself or, you you know, for anyone listening to this, you write the book or you start the podcast. It's like whatever the thing is, you put yourself on social media and say, I'm putting out my shingle. I'm open for my purpose business. I'm okay, universe. I have an idea. The, The feelings can come up. It's when we make them wrong and bad. That yes. is really an issue instead of yes. allowance and, you know, the work of, of Kristen Neff and self-compassion and, and saying, it's okay, everyone feels this yes. and it's normal. And, and even jealousy, I mean, all emotions are data. I mean, even jealousy yes. might say, hey, I want what she's having. Hey, yep. you know, and it's yep. okay. That we talk a lot about jealousy. And I think one of the messages that I feel like I can give, more, maybe more than any other one, is that even today, right? I've taken the journey, I've seen the light, I have the tools, I have really hard days. And my practice is every single day and will remain thus every day of my life. Because now that I've accepted that I am a full spectrum of emotions, it doesn't mean that I'm not gonna experience them. So in fact, I'm going to experience some experience them even more today because I now accept them and I am a highly emotional person. So my highs are going to be really high and I'm going to need to ground myself even in those because I tend to want to stay up there and create and not sleep. Um, And my lows are really, really, really low. And if I don't have something to cling on to, so to speak, or to support my equanimity, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, I could literally never come back up. So when folks see someone like me, they think, oh, she has it great. Like now she's done the work. She's got it going on every day. I don't. And that backpack is my medicine. And I take it every single day, especially when times are good, because the point of a practice is to support you when you're going down. And if you just started it for the first time, you'd never be able to maintain it in a low period. So it becomes such muscle memory for me that on those days I wake up and I'm like, "Uh oh, something's not going well in here. Like I'm really low. I just strap on the backpack and I'm like, okay, Melissa, there are going to be a few more lifelines employed today. (laughs) And it just becomes a day where I'm going to have to take that extra walk. I'm going to have to drink that extra cup of tea. I'm going to have to offer myself more compassion. I'm going to have to talk to someone who understands me. I'm going to have to play with my furry friends. Like I'm going to have to just 
do more to support myself. Yes. And the word practice, right? It's like the more you do it when you feel happy, the more natural it will be or the more the yes. more easily accessible yes. it is when you're not. And so and we've I coined this too. Yeah, we've coined the term now because I, I despise the the word perfect. And you know how they say practice makes perfect. So now we say at Lifelines, we say practice makes better. Mm-hmm. Because practice all that you're better. trying to do is just make every day a little bit better. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Anything we can do also to kind of turn on things. When you were talking before about the perfection, I've created something that I call a say yes to the mess dance that I do with my clients. We just start dancing around going, yes to the mess, right? And we get all like messy and the messier your hair is, the better. Like the more we can shift, right? It's like take something that you think is horrible and turn it into something that is joyful, that is peaceful, that is purposeful, that is fuel for how you can impact another person, the more you will find your life incredibly. Do you want to do it? Do you want to do the yes to the mess dance? I would love it. And let me just say the wisest philosophers, of course, I'm going to do the yes to the mess. Let's look at my hair. I need to do that. I didn't even comb it today. I literally like it's, it's Never wash come. and wear. Never come, girl. Never come. No. Um, but, but the wisest philosophers, I mean, accepting your fate means accepting the paradoxes of everything. So in the high is the low, in the light is the dark, in the mess is the order. So Ah. they're all one in the same. And understanding that those dualities is the key to living a fulfilling life because they're always, even in the deepest, darkest grief, if you can go into that grief and understand that at the core of it is love and which is the most beautiful emotion like you see the duality of life and that they really have always been intertwined it's it's mm. it's beautiful Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. so beautiful as are you as are you melissa okay i could seriously talk to you forever good job mom with the shidduch okay we're really really this is working okay um And I need to get to our purpose power play round. So this is Melissa. When I'm going to ask you random questions or whatever's the first thing that comes to your mind is the correct answer. You down? Okay. I've never done this before, but I'm ready. I'm jumping in. It's like purpose girl version of a David Letterman. So it's gentle stuff. I love it. Okay. Okay. Your favorite toy that you've made. Oh, wow. Our thirst quencher dispenser. Is my baby old enough for it? It is so darn cool. You basically, oh, it is this, um, it's this, it was meant to mimic when you go to a restaurant and you have like, my kids love those soda machines. They love like putting their, their drink there and they would always like mix them and then be like, I need more. We didn't even drink yours. I know, but I need to go up there. So it has different drinks and that, that feeling of pushing it in and it has ice cubes and you can create your own drink. He's not quite ready. Um, but it is the coolest and it's repetition mastery. It is like, oh my God. So my it's favorite. not out yet. It is out. It's been oh, out for, it's, it's, it's been, ready. oh, I'm sorry. He's not ready for it yet oh, at 10 baby, months. He's not ready. Okay, I mean, okay. I know, I know he's gifted, but, but. <laughs> well, yes, let me put on my perfect mom hat. He's the most. <laughs> Maybe I should say, with... you know what? Maybe he's ready, but most children, it's for three and up. 
I love that. I, and I do not do that as a mom. I please someone, someone, please. If I ever do that, you are full on entitled to come and just oh slap gosh. me silly and I, that's, some sort of dance. I never want to. It's so be funny when I I get I used to get so many notes from moms who were like, you know, my child is gifted. What do you suggest oh, for? God. It was so cute. Let me tell I brought down this like abacus thing just to show you, like just for fun for our interview, even though nobody can see this. And my gifted 10 month old, you're just like puts it in his mouth. So there you go. Yay! Yay! Good job. It was a okay. Second question. Since I am a new mom, one joyful memory from mommying. Even though I know you have a many, many, many. Oh, I mean, one of my best. And um, I mean, I write about it in my book, you know, every fall, they're starting to become a little more self-conscious. We do this thing where on those windy fall days when the leaves are falling from the tree to the ground, um, I view it as that life cycle, like literally the leaf is alive. And then as it's falling down to the ground, it's making its journey from life to death, which to me is like so profound. So I figured if I could somehow catch those leaves on their way to the ground and like just hold it for a minute, like I was going to be that last sort of um, sense of life that Stop leaf had journey. Yes. before it reached its final journey and kind of its rebirth in, in disintegrating. So um, I used to do it alone. And then my kids were like, mom, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm doing this, this fun you know, game if you'd like to help me. So we all started going out in the fall and catching the leaves and making it kind of, you know, everything in our family becomes a contest, making it a contest because it's really hard to catch leaves because it's usually windy and they, they flutter and we catch it and we just did it actually. Um, my son and I, we did it with cherry blossom petals mm. because we just had the cherry blossoms and he actually did it with me, my youngest, oh, who's 13. And him. once we, we caught them and I, I did a, a photo of it even for our, um, I think our blog or something, you know, we, we hold it and I just like, I just give it like a little send off before I kind of gently oh, put it on so the ground. Beautiful. Literally one of the toilet papered moments that I had in your book here that we didn't even get to anything I was like going to bring up because there's so much I could talk to you about, but like how hard it is. And that's a metaphor for me too, right? Like when something needs to fall, I was once on a Sirius XM radio show and I was taking women on retreat in the Poconos and I had us do this like silent nature walk and what speaks to you and just sit with it. And what spoke to me was all these leaves were falling and there was one that was like hanging on for dear life. And I journaled afterwards, what's, what am I hanging on to for dear life that's really ready to fall? Ooh. My inner knowing said, the radio show. And I said back, are you crazy? We can't let that radio show go. That's like our biggest form of like women finding us and we cannot. The next day the show was canceled. That is Five years profound. running, it had nothing to do with me. I was like a Dr. Phil on this show where I would come on like once a month and give happiness tips. She called me her happiness guru. But it was like, oh my God, I think I made that. Like I obviously didn't, but it was like a crazy crazy thing and so I really resonated with that moment in your book I thought yeah, yeah. leaves are hard to catch and and, have to let and them also fall. nature for anyone mm -hmm. who is hypersensitive and in their head 
like, and, and questions mortality. Like nature for me really taught me the lesson I needed to learn most, which was just to be. And like, I write so many verses about like a tree remains a tree and never seeks to be a rose for the cosmos just accepts what is with no intent to pose. You know, like just that nature just is okay. Like no matter what happens, right? Yes. All right. Last question, even though I want to, I, I have like 16 more. Last question. What's one thing you want every woman to know? Oh, I think that being human is imperfect. Being human is vulnerable. Being human is showing that we need others. We need self-care, that we feel sad, that we cry. And that is the strongest thing you can do. Having come from a superwoman who believed the weakest thing you could do is show you need anyone or anything, Mm -hmm. I now know that that is truly the greatest form of strength to say, I can't do it all. I need others. But Mm -hmm. I am beautiful in the act of showing it all and trying my best. Mm. That is just like warm, fluffy is to my whole body. Thanks. And it's so true. It's so true. Remember, Wonder Woman had a Justice League. You are allowed a <laughs> Goddess League. You are allowed a Goddess League. We need a Goddess League. Women were never meant to do it alone. Yeah. Now my cape, I've, I've, I've formally retired my cape. Oh, I, I love it's that. No more, no more cape. I can't work miracles. Help yourself now. <laughs> Literally, kids, there's food there. Just go get it yourself. Yeah, Melissa, it has been such a joy and a pleasure having on the Purpose Girl podcast. Thank you for spending so much time with us. This was so much fun. You really are such a spark of positivity and light. And it doesn't mean you don't have the other side too. I do, I own it. (laughs) But I absolutely am intoxicated by your energy. I receive, sister. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I receive. Everyone can find you. We have it in the show notes, but I want to make sure that we, for those driving, uh, that everyone knows where to go. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, our ecosystem, our free ecosystem is lifelines.com. And I also respond to every letter personally. So I am at Melissa Bernstein at lifelines.com and would absolutely love to hear from you. That's how I feel accepted is by hearing from others who feel the same way. Because the truth is, I, I need to know every single day that I'm not alone. You are not. You are not. I am blown away. I, I remember reading in your book that you answer, I don't know if you still do, but you used to answer every every mom and dad, like every every question from a customer about a toy in the middle of the night. And I was like, oh my goddess. Well, and we don't want all of you doing out, that out there because that is how you can get burnt out. Okay. You don't need to do it all hours of the night. That's incredibly, no. incredibly generous. So thank you, Melissa. Incredible. You are so welcome. And to all of you out there, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Girl podcast. We hope you loved this episode as much as we did. If you did, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave your five-star review. Literally takes you 30 seconds to write one sentence. And your reviews are how we are attracting guests like Melissa to the Purpose Girl podcast. Hit the subscribe button, download a few episodes, and share the podcast with every woman you know. That is how we change the world, one woman at a time. 
Of course, if you're not a member of the Purpose Girls Facebook group, girlfriend, what are you waiting for? We are more than 4,000 women strong. Every day, my team and I post different prompts on there for you to love yourself, for you to get clear on your purpose, and for you to go do the damn thing and share your beautiful, beautiful, whole, authentic self with the world. With that, my love, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself. And may you love life. Bye for now.